Episode 108 of the Shock Jock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network. Sean St. Jacques back here with you for another week of Knicks and NBA talk. This is a big episode. We got a lot to get to. We're a week away from the NBA draft. Knicks have picks 19 and 21 in this year's first round. They have two second round picks as well. We've touched on it a lot more recently. We'll dive through a good chunk of the draft today because next week we're going to be reacting to the picks, potentially live, trying to figure out if that's possible, where I'm at at the moment in Florida. I'm looking forward to it, though. I'm really excited for the draft. It's only a week away. I can't believe that. Obviously, we record on the Thursday. Show goes out Friday morning every week on postingandtoasting.com, on Apple Podcasts as well. And as always, we really appreciate you guys tuning in week in and week out. But we're not just talking draft. We have an NBA champion as well. We'll be breaking down games five and six of the NBA Finals as we see the Greek freak Giannis Antetokounmpo, Chris Middleton, Mike Budenholzer, and company crowned as NBA champions for the first time the Bucks in 50 years, just about. It's been a long, long time. Incredible stuff. So let's touch on that first. We have a ton of draft stuff to get to. We have some Knicks news. We'll talk a little Kelly Oubre. We'll talk a little Damian Lillard as well. And then we'll talk draft and where we stand going into next week where we're going to be seeing picks and clocks and the draft. I'm excited. I'm excited. This is probably the most excited I've been going into a Knicks draft in some time. So, we'll get to that. Game 5. Again, I've been saying on this podcast for a while, I thought the Suns were going to win this series. One thing that that I think uh, many people, including myself, underestimated was the lack of defense against Giannis Antetokounmpo in this series. And it ended up paying a huge piece of dividends for the Milwaukee Bucks. They really hammered home their advantage in the paint in these last four games of the series. Giannis, far and away the best player in the series. There was some speculation over another injury creeping up for Chris Paul as the series went on. We certainly saw Drew Holiday have an impact on Chris Paul and on Devin Booker as well. Game five is going to be remembered, though, for two, well, actually really three things in the end, right? First is the huge lead the Suns took after the first quarter. They, they absolutely went on a rampage against the Bucks. They had a 37-21 lead after one quarter. It looked like the Suns maybe weren't going to just walk over the Bucks, but they were going to be in control, you'd think, for most of the game. It flipped rather quickly. The The Bucks got most of the deficit back in the second quarter. Again, a 16-point lead for the Suns after one. The Bucks outscored the Suns by nine in the second quarter and, and cut it to a manageable deficit going into halftime. And then the Bucks took the lead and, and built on that lead for quite some time in the third Suns, this is the part two of what we'll remember. The Suns had a furious comeback in the fourth, 
had a chance to tie or take the lead in the final seconds. And Devin Booker turns it over, driving into the paint. The Suns, were, I believe, were down by two. Drew Holiday gets a huge steal. And it leads to a lob to Giannis, who dunks it in spectacular fashion and gets fouled at the other end. A frantic finish to the game. Bucks end up winning it 123 to 119. A huge victory, in my opinion, that kind of kind of sealed it in a way for the Bucks. I thought the Suns had to win game five. I thought if they did, they would have won the series, in my opinion, even if the Bucks had won game six, which of course they went on to do. I thought the Suns would win it in, in seven. I, I really did. That's, that's kind of where I was leaning going into game five. Suns would win game five. Bucks would win game six. And the Suns would win it in game seven. But the Bucks pulled out a huge win by four in game five. And I thought that was kind of it. Go it for me. I obviously didn't get a chance to say that on the podcast. But going into game six, I thought it was pretty much done. I thought the Suns needed a, a fast start. If they were going to win game six, they didn't get it. The Bucks were the team on the front foot for most of it in the first half. And I, and I thought that, you know, they kind of, you know, didn't seal their advantage in the second half, but they, they kept the Suns within arm's length for most of it, despite a valiant effort in game six from Devin Booker, who, despite being frustrated at times, was really one of the unsung heroes for the Suns. He just kept pumping in points, even when things were not looking so good. Chris Paul had a solid game six, although he did turn the ball over at a couple of crucial junctures. And I think that was the difference over these last four games. Chris Paul uh, wasn't the same after the first two games. I think that's fair to say. Whether it was because of a wrist injury that's kind of propped up now, I, I, I don't know. But clearly it was a different Chris Paul. And if it was the same Chris Paul we had seen in games one and two, I think the Suns probably win this series. So difficult for Phoenix to take. They had an unbelievably good season. Um, they're going to have to improve. The Lakers will be back. The, the Clippers will be back. Um, in the West, the Nuggets will be back. The Jazz will be back. So there's going to be, it's going to not going to be easy for Phoenix, especially considering they have to make a big choice on Chris Paul this offseason. I think they've almost got to re-sign him. I think that's been the pretty common uh, thought about that. But we'll see what they decide to do. And they're going to have to add more than that, I think, if they're going to push forward again next season. The Bucks. what can we say? Uh, just Giannis was phenomenal. He had 50 points, by the way. In Game Six, I think that kind of got lost under the radar a little bit at times in the in the follow up to that game. But he was just tremendous, uh, unbelievably good. The last few games as well, I think Chris Middleton was phenomenal. Brooke Lopez, I think, was probably the unsung hero of this team. He had a couple of huge games throughout the postseason and in the finals in particular that kind of helped Milwaukee get over the hump. Bobby Portis, they love him in Milwaukee. He had 16 points in Game Six as well. And he is another, you know, unsung hero, former Nick. So I think a lot of us are probably happy for him that he gets a ring with a very good team. Pat Connaughton, by the way, I thought was another under-the-radar guy in this series that came up huge at times. P.J. Tucker had 36 big minutes specifically, as he always does, on the defensive end of the floor. Both him and Connaughton combined did not score a single point. However, they were crucial on the defensive end. They were crucial getting offensive rebounds. Pat Connaughton's second effort at times 
you know, we're, we're difference making plays in the game. And 105-98 was the final. And after 50 years, 50 points from Giannis and a dominant defensive display from True Holiday and big shots down the stretch from Chris Middleton, the Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions yet again. And the Phoenix Suns, God bless them, have another great team that gets to a game six of the finals and can't force a game seven. And they come up short. Phoenix still looking for their first NBA championship in franchise history. So I feel terrible for Chris Paul. I don't know if he's going to get another shot at an NBA Finals. Um, This felt like the year. I I was saying it early in the series, even after Game 4. This felt like it was Chris Paul's time to finally get to the top. But you got to give all the credit in the world to the Bucs. Giannis Antetokounmpo gets his first NBA championship. Mike Budenholzer, who's been criticized a lot, a lot by the media over these last few seasons, despite a lot of success, right? A lot of people saying, well, he's great, but he's not good enough to win a championship with the Bucs. Well, he was good enough. And they beat a really good Phoenix Suns team with a great coach of them of their own in Monty Williams, who's going to be there, I think, for a long time. And maybe he will have another shot with Devin Booker and that core group of winning, you know, DeAndre Ayton and company, uh, Mikhail Bridges as well, of winning an NBA championship. But for the time being, the Suns have to go back to the drawing board. They're going to have to add. They're going to have to add because it's a, such a deep Western conference. And the, what they've got at the moment is very good, but they're going to need to add another piece or two, I think, to make sure they're, they have a chance to get back to the NBA Finals. This is the time to go for it if you're Phoenix. This is the time. you got to bring back Chris Paul. You're going to have to sign another wing, potentially, in my opinion, and potentially another big as well. Despite some good performances down the stretch in Game 6, Frank Kaminsky cannot really be your backup, I don't think, behind DeAndre Ayton. I think if they can upgrade there, or if, if, if Frank Kaminsky can improve and show that he's worthy of that position, you got to improve that backup center position, I think, if you're Phoenix as well, because that really came back to haunt them in the last four games of this series, specifically in Game 5, and even more hammered home in Game 6. 50 Giannis points. That can't happen if you're Phoenix. It ended up being the difference in the series. And by the way, one quick note on Giannis, and this was a great job by the ESPN crew, as always, bringing this stuff to the fore. Giannis had an unbelievable shooting performance from the free throw line. And I have to see if I can find the actual um, the actual stats here. It was noticed, in, in I think, in the second or the third quarter. But it was one of those things where, <laughs> at one point, you're looking at his numbers. And you're like, oh, my God, he hasn't missed. and and Or he'd missed one, maybe. And Mike Brennan mentioned he went 17 for 17 in a game earlier in his career. In Game 6, Giannis Antetokounmpo from the free throw line went 17 of 19 from the stripe. Now, a lot of people say, well, he was at home, not on the road. That's definitely definitely a factor. I, I totally agree with you. But he made the free throws. And early in the postseason, it didn't matter if he was home or, or on the road. He was struggling. And that wasn't a thing earlier in his career. Giannis wasn't really known for being a bad free throw shooter until really the last couple of years, especially this postseason. So the fact that he improved that 
on the biggest stage in a closeout game at home with 65,000 people outside the building, another 20-something inside of it or whatever the Pfizer Forum holds. With the world watching, Giannis made his free throws. And they, they were the difference in the game. Seven-point win, he made 17 of 19 from the, from the free throw line. If he makes half, Suns win the game. So, incredible performance from Giannis on Tetacumpo, and he deserves a lot of credit, no question about it. He was just phenomenal when it counted the most for the Milwaukee Bucks, and they are your NBA champions. I didn't think I'd be saying that, to be honest with you, but here we are. It really is, it really is a big, big moment for the NBA. It's great to see a new champion kind of break it up. I was looking also, it's great to see an Eastern Conference champion as well. The West has dominated for the most part since the Bulls of Michael Jordan's era stopped winning championships. Since that second three-peat that the Bulls went on, the, the West have dominated the NBA Finals over the last 20-something years. So it's great to see an Eastern Conference team win an NBA championship as well as from a pure fan's perspective because the West have dominated. I, I don't have the stat in front of me. Let me see if I can pull that up. But it, the, I, I, all I know is it's not that close, if I remember correctly. The West have been very, very good since the Bulls ended their dynasty. It, it's one of those things where, you know, the East ran through Chicago for so many years. And then after that, it was, listen, the Spurs, the Lakers, more recently, the Warriors as well. I mean, I'm looking at it now. The Bulls go on that run that ends in 98. They beat the Jazz for the second straight year in six games. They win their sixth NBA championship in eight years, two back-to-back-to-back runs. Then after the Bulls uh, kind of broke up and MJ retired again, the West won five straight championships. The Spurs, then a Laker three-peat, and then the Spurs again. And then when you look at from 99, right, when the Spurs beat the Knicks in the finals, to today, right? 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. 15. 15 of the last champions since 99. So we're talking what, 22 years, 23 years, 23 years, 15 out of 23 have been Western conference champions who have won the NBA title. Only eight Eastern conference teams now, including the Bucks, have won the title. The Pistons in 04, the Heat in 06, the Celtics in 08, the Heat back to back with the big three in 2012, 2013, LeBron and the Cavs, in 2016, the Raptors with Kawhi in 2019, and now Giannis and the Bucks in 2021. So the West have dominated. That's two-thirds of the titles, essentially. Actually, a little bit more than that, I think. My, my math is not very good. But we're, we're talking a good chunk, a very good chunk of the titles have gone to the West. And it's great to kind of see the East grab a title and start to try to even this thing out a little bit. Seriously, we're talking we're talking two-thirds. We're talking two-thirds of the titles have been the West. So it's great to see the Bucks win it. 
Obviously, it would have been great to see the Suns win it. And actually, all time now, the Suns in the NBA Finals are actually 0-3. 0-3 now when it comes to the NBA Finals. Obviously, Barkley and company lost to the Bulls in 93. That was the most recent before this year. And they obviously lost once before that as well in the Finals. In 76, I believe, they lost to Tom Heinsohn and the Boston Celtics, who at the time had won 13-14 of 14 NBA championships when they've gotten to the NBA Finals. So it's one of those things. It's one of those things. But in the end, congratulations to the Bucks. I think they more than earned it. I don't think there's really any doubters. I think Mike Budenholzer, Giannis, Chris Middleton, and company, Brooke Lopez, they all earned it. That whole team, True Holiday, deserves a shout-out as well. Just a phenomenal job, and they deserve every bit of the accolades they will get. Okay, we still have a lot to get to here, and and I'm running out of time in this opening segment. So real quick, we're going to get to some of the Kelly Oubre stuff. We're going to get to some of the Damian Lillard stuff. Just a quick couple of quick headlines to get to first, though. The Celtics and Lakers reportedly among teams interested in Reggie Bullock, which is going to be interesting to see. Uh, that's according to Mark Berman of the New York Post. The Sixers, by the way, are also um, interested as well. According to Mark Berman, Reggie Bullock prefers to sign with the Knicks. He prefers to re-sign. He's going to be 30 years old, obviously. He is 30 years old, obviously. Did great last year with the Knicks as well. Ian Begley reported last month that the Knicks front office, at least some of them, are already on board with signing Reggie Bullock again. And this happened earlier in the season, reportedly. So they, they, they've wanted to re-sign Reggie Bullock since around the midway point, around the all-star break of the season. So positives, especially if you want to keep a sharpshooter in Reggie Bullock. I think if out of the guys, as far as age, talent, what he brings to the table, he's probably one of the top guys on the list as far as the Knicks wanted to bring guys back. So Derrick Rose is a tougher decision because of his age. I'd love to bring him back, but you know it's one of those things where you have to see how it goes. But yeah, the Sixers, the Celtics, and the Lakers are interested, but it's great to see that he's leaning towards re-signing with the Knicks. Obviously, uh, it was nice to see the the headline from Kelly Oubre as well. He seems to want to go to a team that's defensive-minded, that really wants to get after it on the defensive end of the floor where he can fit in seamlessly, and said the Knicks could be a viable option in that regard. And I think that's a really positive thing to hear as well. I think he's somebody that could be a really nice piece to add to this roster. He just fits that Tom Thibodeau style. He would slot right in and could be a guy that's a big piece to this team moving forward. I think that would be a really good acquisition if the Knicks could look into it. Again, the reports as well with Damian Lillard. And I want to touch a little bit more on this after the break, but the Knicks are going to be one of the teams that goes really hard after him. So I'm really excited to see how all of that kind of unfolds. One last quick note on Ubre. He's a great piece because not only could he be a guy in the locker room that's helpful, but he plays a position where the Knicks could really use some help defensively, I feel like. I think that this is a, you know, when you're facing your your Trey Youngs in the postseason or your Kyrie Irvings, this is a guy that you could really have as a good on-ball defender 
to, to pick up one of those guys. And I, and I think he's shown his worth over the years, not only scoring from deep and, and, and a multitude of other ways, but on the defensive end of the floor, not necessarily as good as Drew Holiday defensively, but he's got that kind of a role in him. And that's certainly something to watch moving forward. All right, we'll take the break here. When we come back, we got a lot to talk about with the draft. We've got a lot to talk about with the Knicks in general. SB Nation, our parent company that hosts this blog, this podcast, one of our guys made the picks in the mock draft for SB Nation. What did they do? What should the Knicks do? What's going on with Cade Cunningham and the Pistons? We got a lot of boxes to check. We'll check them all off next on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network. Okay, like I said, we've got a lot to get to in the second half of the show. I don't know how long it's going to be. This is one of those shows where we're just kind of going with it. We're doing as much as we can fit in the podcast. We did a lot of finals stuff in the first half of the show, and rightfully so. The season has come to a close, and we've now got to dive in to off-season stuff. Real quick, we're going to touch on Damian Lillard. We're going to touch on the draft. We're going to touch on Nerlens Noel, who's also being looked at by other teams around the NBA also. There's a lot of news to get to. So let's start with, with this, and we'll get to Cade Cunningham and the latest on that as well. Will they trade him? We've got an update for you on that. Okay. We'll start with with my man, Nerlens Noel, one of my favorite players to watch with the Knicks this season. Nerlens Noel had an interview with Michael Scotto of Hoops Hype, basically said, quote, I'll weigh it simply off of how I can further my career and best utilize in a system both offensively and defensively that can help that team to get to the next step and myself as well, unquote, talking about his future destination this offseason. Collectively reaching the playoffs, my individual goal, Nerland says, which is more team-oriented, is going deeper into the playoffs. I haven't been to the second round yet. I want to crack through. And he says more on, you know, obviously what he wants to do moving forward. Noel, as we know, is one of the eight Knicks free agents during this offseason. He's going to be asking for a lot of money, or at least asking for more money, obviously. But Tom Thibodeau has you know, some incentive to, to bring him back. He was huge down the stretch, and Mitchell Robinson has not been great with injuries of late. It's a big decision. I, I would lean to bringing him back. I know, I know the price is going to be big, but the Knicks have a lot of cap space. They can make a trade or two to improve the backcourt. Obviously, they're going to try to improve the backcourt as well through the draft, you would think, also. And we'll touch on what SB Nation and what our guys at Posting and Toasting decided to do with a mock draft pick or two in a second. But there's a lot to look at here with Nerlens Noel. I think the Knicks would be hard-pressed to find somebody who fits their style better in the defensive end of the floor. So I, I think I would lean towards bringing him back. I, I really would. I, I think that I'd argue that he's he might even be more important, especially if you address some things with the backcourt in the draft or potentially bring in a big piece. It might even be more important than Derrick Rose to bring back. I think when you look at what he brings to the table and his age, as well, the argument can be made. That's all I'm saying. The argument can be made that Nerlens Noel is more important of a, of a guy to bring back through free agency than a Derrick Rose would be, just because of age, impact, and the way the Knicks like to play. But again, if you can't address the backcourt as much as you'd like, 
then Derrick Rose becomes vital, becomes extremely important to bring back for the near future. So a lot to consider here, a lot to look at if you're the Knicks. Before we get to the draft, because my goodness, we got a lot of stuff here. Damian Lillard. Reportedly, the Knicks and the Sixers are the teams that will be going the hardest to get Damian Lillard, according to multiple reports. Other teams that could be interested, according to other, you know, some rumors in there, some reports, and just based on fit and availability, cap space, what they could give up. Teams being floated around. The Rockets with a lot of first-round picks. The Kings with trade rumors earlier this season swirling around with De'Aaron Fox. If they keep Tyrese Halliburton, looks like they will, you would think. Damian Lillard, could he slot in? And, and Tyrese Halliburton can kind of be that new C.J. McCollum. Obviously the Knicks, very much in the mix. Obviously the Knicks with Julius Randle, you potentially have to give up a lot to get Damian Lillard, but... Keep Julius Randle. You maybe address a few things with Nerlens Noel coming back, Derrick Rose coming back, things of that nature. Reggie Bullock being in the mix as well. Could be a very interesting move as well. Obviously, the Heat could be interested as well. Would be a huge move for them. They're a team that's coming off a really embarrassing first-round performance where they get swept by, to be fair, the eventual NBA champion, Bucks, but... The Heat looked terrible in that first-round series against a team they had beaten the previous year pretty convincingly in the bubble. And then, of course, the Sixers. The Sixers are the team right now that probably have the best to offer, but they have the biggest decision maybe in recent franchise history to make, and that's whether to to stick or twist on Ben Simmons. What are they going to do with that guy, man? What are they going to do? And that, to me, is probably the biggest story of the entire offseason at the moment. What are the Sixers going to do about Ben Simmons? I honestly, league-wide, there's probably not a bigger story right now in the NBA, personnel-wise. What are the what are the Sixers going to do at the point guard position with Ben Simmons? They have a massive, massive decision to make. And I, I'm, I mean, obviously, like you, I'm very curious to see what they decide to do. There's a ton of options there. One of them could be, you know, shipping him off. Would that be to the Blazers? That remains to be seen. We'll have to see how it goes. Clearly, Damian Lillard is very interested in the Sixers. He's very interested, at least reportedly, in the Knicks. It's going to be very, very intriguing to see what he decides to do, what teams can do, what they're willing to do to get him. Because this is a top five player in the NBA. And him moving would be the biggest story of the offseason, obviously. But at the moment, the Sixers making a decision on Ben Simmons probably takes priority. Because that could lead to a potential move for Damian Lillard. Unless somebody beats him to the punch. That's another thing that could potentially happen here also. So that that to me right now is what I'm probably looking at the most as far as NBA offseason stories is, is what the heck the Sixers are going to do because there's a, a ton riding on their decision. There really is. So we'll have to see how it goes. All right. The draft. 
We've got about... Actually, we really don't have a time limit. But, I, I again, I like to keep it to 40 minutes on this show. But if we have to go over, and I've, and I've said this in the past, we do go over. Let's start with, with, it, with Cade Cunningham. The latest on Cade Cunningham. And this, hap- this literally came out like minutes before I started recording this podcast. This happened earlier today. Multiple reports, including from Kevin O'Connor out of the ringer, are saying that front office executives around the league expect Detroit to stay at number one and take Cade Cunningham in the draft. John Giovanni of ESPN reported earlier this month that the Pistons were looking at teams like the Cavs, the Rockets, the Pelicans, the Thunder to consider moving up in the draft to get Cade Cunningham. We've talked about it at nauseum on this podcast. Shams of the Athletic also reporting earlier that the Rockets were aggressive, quote-unquote, in trying to move up from 2-1 to one to get Cade Cunningham. Obviously, the Rockets, based on equity in the draft, have the most to give to move up that one spot to get Cade Cunningham. However, the latest reports from the Ringer are saying otherwise that despite these offers that potentially been talked about, maybe not, the Pistons look to be staying where they are. And with a week to go, there's still a week left. Things can change. You never know. But it's looking like Cade Cunningham's going to be a member of the Detroit Pistons when his name will be called first on July 29th in New York. So, if that stays the way it is, and, and to be fair, most years we don't get a late late twist on this. And to be fair, you know, it's not going to be a big shock, and it never would have been if Cade Cunningham averaged, you know, 26, 4, maybe 3, 3 or 4 assists and, and almost 2 steals a game in college, goes number 1 in the draft. He's a heck of a player. The Pistons will be very happy to have him. He's a 40% 3-point shooter as well. He, he's the next guy. He really could be the next guy in the NBA that, that really uh, surprises a lot of people, or not surprises, but really shines, I should say. You know, with, with what we've seen from Luka, Trey Young, John Morant, you know, the next guy could be Cade Cunningham. So it's going to be very interesting to see what they decide to do on that front. But the Pistons look to be taking him. The Pistons look to be the team that's going to take Cade Cunningham in this draft. There's other guys there, obviously. Jalen Green, Evan Mobley are definitely options, but it looks like the Pistons are going to stick to their guns here. They're not going to they're not going to trade their pick. And they're going to take the Oklahoma State star with the number one overall pick. Before we get to the Knicks stuff, because again, I want to I want to share what our guys did with the SB Nation mock draft, and I also want to look at what Bleacher Report is saying about what the Knicks should do as well. Again, Jalen Green, Evan Mobley. By the way, Jalen Suggs, another one. Jonathan Kaminga from the G League. Scotty Barnes out of Florida State. These are all guys that could be in that mix in the top five, 100%. Uh, Keon Johnson out of Tennessee is kind of an outside-looking-in kind of guy. Jalen Johnson, a lot of Jalens in this draft, out of Duke. Could be a guy that maybe sneaks into that top six or seven. As well, I, a lot of I've heard a lot of things on James Booknight the last few weeks that have really been all over the place. Some have him going to seven, 
to Golden State. Some have them some have them going as as low as 14 to Golden State with the second pick because no one they don't think the Spurs or the Pacers will take him. But this I've seen him go to the, the Spurs at 12 would be another interesting one. Also, although he might not be there, but it, it, it's he's been all over the place as well. Chris Duarte's stock has also been going up as well. I mentioned him as a guy that the Knicks could take late in the first round. Some have him going now as high as 15 to the Washington Wizards. So there, there's been a lot of moving and shaking as anticipated in the first round. With the Knicks, there's been a lot of speculation over who the Knicks will take in the draft. The second round picks we'll get to. There's a couple of outliers, or I should say you know, potential diamonds in the rough that I think the Knicks could look at there, and I'll get to those in a second. I've mentioned a few of them already on previous episodes, but we're a week out. We're going we're gonna to quickly look through that as well. But 19-21 and 21 in the draft. SB Nation had a mock draft. Our own Joe Flynn, postingandtoasting.com, he made the pick for our website for both 19 and 21. One stipulation that he mentions in the article, and you, go, you can go read it on postingandtoasting.com. It's on the homepage right now. You can't trade picks. So basically, that's the only rule in this SB Nation blog-wide mock draft. That's the only rule, basically. You can't trade your picks. You got to take what you get. So at 19, Joe takes Trey Mann out of Florida. Very interesting pick. I I honestly, and he says this, and I I kind of agree with him. I don't expect the Knicks to make this pick. As soon as I saw it, I went, hmm, that's a good pick, but I don't think the Knicks will do it. It just doesn't feel like I feel like the Knicks are likely going to take a guard first that, that is more a more proven guy. Now, now Trey Mann is is literally, you know, one of the better scorers in the first round of this draft, I would say. But I think the Knicks want a guard that's, a, that's going to run the show. And to be fair, with the 21st pick, he takes Sharif Cooper out of Auburn. I think Sharif is more likely to go 19 there in my opinion. Honestly, I'd be fine with Mann and Cooper. I think Joe's on the right track here. I think these would make a lot of sense for the Knicks. However, I don't think they're going to take Trey Mann. I think he agrees with me there. I also think that if you're, if the Knicks are going to take a you know a guard in this draft, I think they're going to take him in, a point guard, I should say, in this draft to keep him, uh, you know, being a little vague there. If they're going to take a point guard in this draft, I think they're, they're going to take him at 19. I think it's going to probably be either a Cooper or maybe an Ayo Desumu if he's there. I, I would love the Knicks to take Ayo Desumu. I, I love what he could potentially bring to the table in this draft. Although, to be fair, some draft boards have Desumu falling a little bit. So maybe the Knicks could could get him there. Maybe, you know, mid to late first round potentially. Some have him even in the second round, which I think is a huge mistake. But Knicks have an early second round pick to back that up as well. Miles McBride out of West Virginia has been thrown out there as another potential option. Another guy in the mix as well, in my opinion. Again, Trey Mann's in there, but Jared Butler as well. Joel Ayayi out of Gonzaga. A couple of combo guards to look at, but... I think when you're looking pure point guard 
I look at Desumu. I look at Cooper. You know, there's there's other guys as well. At one point, I was thinking Davion Mitchell, but he has flown up some of these draft boards. The Baylor point guard. So I, I those are the kind of guys I think of at that position at the moment. Other guys that that could be there again. Again, we, we talked about it. Trey Mann is is a point guard, but he's more of a scoring point guard. You know, and and that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that the Knicks could always use more scoring. I I hear what you're saying, but I think the Knicks need a floor general, and I think Sharif Cooper kind of fits that a little bit more at that point guard position. And by the way, Desumo is kind of a mix. He's kind of a hybrid of the two. Can score, but he's also really good at distributing, obviously. So he's kind of in the middle of those two guys in, in a way. So I, those are the kind of guys I think about with the two picks. Obviously, you know, other names besides point guards that have been floated out there. Isaiah Jackson, who's kind of been flying up the boards himself on some boards these last few weeks. Nishan Highland, a combo guard out of VCU is another guy that I think the Knicks should be looking at as well. Bleacher Report has thrown out names as well for what the Knicks should do at 19 in this draft. And, and it's very um, it's very interesting to see what the options are. Again, they've talked about Sharif Cooper as well. Trey Murphy the third out of Virginia, who's more of a wing player, could be an option there, depending on what you know the Knicks want to do at the guard position, Cameron Thomas, and a guy that I haven't mentioned a lot, to be honest with you, on this podcast. I think you also look at at him as a shooting guard. Could be a guy to, to consider, maybe not at 19, but possibly at 21 if you've gotten the guard that you want to snag at that point. So it's going to be very interesting. That's what I'm trying to say. I, the, I think if the Knicks, and this is kind of what I've said from day one, if the Knicks can get a point guard, with that 19th pick. The 21st pick has a little bit of pressure taken off of it. Because, like I said, if you don't get the guard you want at 19, 21 now becomes very important because now you're running out of options a little bit. You're towards the end of the first round. You do have a late, uh, sorry, an early second round pick, 32, that could bail you out. Remember, the Knicks had you know that late swap that got Emmanuel quickly to come here last year, and that was a huge draft-saving moment, in my opinion. They had already gotten Obi Toppin, but getting quickly there ended up being a big, big deal. So at 19, in my opinion, I think you got to be looking at DeSumo, maybe Cooper, maybe McBride. If Mitchell's there, I think you look at Mitchell. And then at 21, you're hoping maybe... Chris Duarte's there, maybe Thomas, maybe Jackson as well. Maybe Highland, maybe look combo guard there. Trey Mann, again, is, is definitely an option here. Jared Butler out of Baylor is definitely an option. Now, second round, Knicks have the 32nd pick and the 58th pick. And it's, again, I should preface this again by saying this is how it's looking right now. The Knicks could trade a couple of these picks. You never know. The, the Knicks might not make their 58th pick. They might trade it. You, you never know what can happen on draft night. I, I'm looking at a board right now that's got Io DeSumo to the Knicks at 32. I don't see that happening. I'd be shocked. If the Knicks made that pick in that position, I feel like it'd be a massive steal. I really do. I think Io DeSumo could be a really good player at the next level. And I think if you can get him there, 
with low risk, I, I think the Knicks would be. I sh- I know I would be. I'd be jumping for joy. I, I feel like that would be a phenomenal pick if he falls to the Knicks in that position. Again, depending on how much the Knicks like Sharif Cooper, they could take him in the first round, but he could be there too in the second round. There's some draft boards that have him there too. I don't see that. I, I honestly think Sharif Cooper is going to be a first round pick. And I think if the Knicks, if, the, if he falls to the Knicks, I think the Knicks will take him. I, I really do. So that's going to be very interesting to see as well. A few other names that I've mentioned uh, as well, when you're looking away from the, the point guard position and shooting guard positions in particular, I think Jeremiah Robinson Earl is a real option for the Knicks at 32. I, I think he's a guy for today's NBA that makes a lot of sense. I, I really do. I, I think he's a guy that could really either play well behind Julius Randle or be an option off the bench that can make a really big impact on the offensive end of the floor. A Villanova guy does all the all the little things well, but he's also a good athlete, really good around the basket, and can shoot the three at a pretty high level as well. I think he would be a really nice piece if the Knicks can pick him up. I also, again, a, a couple of guys I haven't mentioned a lot of, Jericho Sims out of Texas. He's a good option if, you, if you're thinking that maybe Nerlens Noel's you know, not going to come back kind of a thing. I, I think he'd be an interesting piece. I don't know if he's a, he's not a right away piece. I don't think, but he's an interesting you know kind of a a roster bolstering picket for the for the front court. If you're you know if some of your guys are gone or maybe he's the best available, that kind of a thing. Then you look later in the in the first sorry later in the second round where the Knicks have the 58th pick. This is where things get a little bit tougher because there's not a ton of options here but there's a few diamonds in the rough potentially in my opinion that you could look at john petty a shooting guard out of alabama i think is definitely worth a look in this spot i think you look at a guy that that at the moment is off a lot of boards but sandro mamukalashvili i've mentioned him before on this podcast out of seton hall i'm a seton hall guy you can throw bias my way all you want but he is impressing a lot of people right now and he's a He's a perfect Euro big for the NBA, and I think the Knicks would be really happy to have him if they could potentially get him. Or you can sign him as an undrafted free agent like he did with his former teammate, Miles Powell. So I think he's an option there. Marcus Garrett out of Kansas is a combo guard. If you didn't get what you wanted earlier in the draft, maybe he's an option. And then, and then honestly, after that, it's slim pickings in my opinion. I mean, David Duke out of Providence is a, is a taller point guard. He's a combo guard at the next level, potentially. I'm not a huge fan of his as far as his next level potential, but he could be a guy that, that you look at as an option if you're the Knicks. So, and then obviously the last option, uh, with a few other guys potentially in the mix, but I, I, the last option obviously is to trade the pick, potentially in a big deal or for future picks. So it'll be interesting to see what the Knicks decide to do they had 19 they've got 21 they've got 32 and they've got 58 and we've got one week to go until the Knicks either make those picks or decide to do something a little nuts and maybe go big on draft night that's gonna do it for this week's episode of the shock shock Knicks podcast thank you all as always for watching I should say for listening to the podcast you guys are the best. Thank you as always for listening. I, I can't thank you guys enough. I mean, 
I don't mean to ramble, but I, it's just week in and week out, you guys are always here to listen to the show, and it means a lot, especially during the pandemic, which continues to go on. I hope you guys are safe. Hopefully you're vaccinated. Hopefully your family is safe and vaccinated as well. And hopefully you guys are starting to get closer to being back to normal as well. I know I'm starting to feel it a little bit, but I got to realize like many of you out there, there's still ways to go here before we're fully back to normal, hopefully in some way, shape or form. So keep doing your thing out there. Keep fighting the good fight. Thank you guys again, as always, for sharing this time of the week with me. And I will see you guys next time on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast, on the Posting and Toasting podcast network. Next week, we're going to be talking NBA draft live on the show. We'll see you guys then. Have a good week, everybody.